0: Al Jazeera Podcast. Just a heads up this episode includes descriptions of torture. (laughs) Palestinian civilians are being dragged and tortured by Israeli men in military uniform, stripped naked and bound with their hands and feet tied. You're hearing the cries of those men. It's from a video first shared on October 31st by a Hebrew-language account on X and Telegram. Euromed Human Rights Monitor, an NGO based in Geneva, says the video is from Yatta, near Hebron, in the south of the occupied West Bank. The men appear to have been left outdoors for hours.
1: It's not new for Palestinians to be humiliated by the Israeli soldiers or the Israeli settlers, but the intensity of it is increasing a lot. And it feels like the time of war has made Israeli settlers and Israeli forces more audacious.
0: And as the Israeli bombardment of Gaza continues to claim more lives, Palestinians in the occupied West Bank are living another nightmare. Violence in the West Bank has intensified since the Hamas attack. Authorities there say more than 100 Palestinians have been killed by settlers. Today, we speak to a Palestinian nonviolent activist in Hebron who tells us how Israelis kidnapped, tortured, and sexually assaulted him. I'm Natasha del Toro, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Why don't we start with your name and what you do?
2: My name is Isa Amro. I'm a Palestinian human rights uh, defender and non-violence activist uh, in the city of Hebron. It's one of the largest Palestinian cities. It's the only city after Jerusalem where Israeli settlers are living inside the city.
0: And tell me about your organization and what it does. I understand you do non-violent resistance, right?
2: Yes, uh, my organization is uh, Youth Against uh, Settlements. We teach Palestinian youth to practice uh, non-violence resistance to end the Israeli occupation. So our activists and uh, volunteers uh, do organize direct actions, uh, protest rallies, documentation uh, of the human rights violations by. Video cameras. We do tours and advocacy to Israeli delegations, to international delegations, to diplomats who want to learn more about the occupation and apartheid in the city of uh, Hebron. In
0: 2010, Aisa was declared Human Rights Defender of the Year in Palestine by the United Nations. He's met with many international representatives, including US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken in 2021. On October 7th, Ayesa was working, as usual, at his organization's office in the city. Early that morning, he heard the news about the Hamas attacks on Israel, news that came out gradually.
2: I heard about the rockets coming out from Gaza. I thought that it's another round in 15 years, because we are used to that, 2008, 2012, 14, 2021 So I heard later, in the morning, that it's more than that.
0: Aissa decided to go back home. And now you have to understand something. To get to Aissa Amr's home, it's not an easy task. He lives in the heart of Hebron.
2: We have around 22 checkpoints, uh, more than 100 movement barriers, closed streets, closed markets, closed shops, closed houses, So the main entrance to my house is closed, so I come from the fields. So I walk in the mud when it's cold, under the sun, with that dust. So I started walking to my house. I found in the way to my house settlers in an army uniform.
0: Soldiers serving in the occupied West Bank are often themselves settlers there, and vice versa. They've been long documented to work in tandem. And Isis says he found both on his way home that day.
2: I know them. They are my neighbor. So I told him, Ashi, let me go to, to my house. He's my neighbor. It's the closest settler house to my house. Another settler came toward me and pushed me, took the gun, and he wanted to shoot me. I decided to go back to save my life and to go from another route. So I went around and I reached very close to my house. I saw another Israeli soldier. The soldier knows me because I'm well-known to the soldiers and to the settlers that I'm a non-violence, peaceful human rights defender. And the soldiers started walking with me to the house. I reached my yard a few meters from the door, and they jumped on me. Around 15 Israeli soldiers, soldiers, all of them wearing soldier uniform, but the majority of them, around 10 of them, are my settlers' neighbors. And they start hitting me, pushing me. And then uh, they started, you know, taking me away to the military base. So they handcuffed me with plastic and cuffs, very, very, very tight. Then they tight my mouth and they blindfolded me and uh, I was kidnapped by the Israeli soldiers and Israeli settlers in an army uniform for 10 hours continuously I was tortured, dehumanized, beaten, kicked uh, attacked they spit on me many times. they kept me in a room with a cold air- conditioning. They tied my hands to maximum, I didn't feel in my hand that it was so painful that the plastic cuffs, you know, until now my hands didn't come back to normal. It was the torture of my life. I fainted two times and it didn't bring me any doctor, any ambulance, any paramedic. I fainted because of the pain. And they were saying that they will kill me. They were taking the gun, put it on my head.
0: Oh, my gosh.
2: And it was a lot of sexual abuses against me. They were taking pictures and selfies with me. They were singing. They were happy settlers from the settlement came, took selfie, and they were talking badly to me, saying, "Isa, you see uh, what's going on to you? You will be killed soon. Sittler kids even came to rejoice as well. I never, ever will forget or forgive about what happened to me. I really didn't expect that I would go back home alive.
0: ISIS survived, but the nightmare continues. That's after the
1: break. On the Inside Story podcast, we ask if world powers can pressure Israel to stop its rising attacks against Palestinians in the occupied West Bank. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Before we tell you the rest of Aiza's story, you need to know a little more about Hebron and the West Bank. More than 700,000 Jewish settlers live in the West Bank in settlements that are illegal under international law. Building those settlements is a major part of Israel's political project, And the government incentivizes Israelis to go there, ideologically and economically. In Hebron City itself, there are only a few hundred settlers, and their extremism has long been known and documented. Aisa, maybe for people that are a little less familiar with Hebron, maybe you could give us the lay of the land there and the villages around it. Where exactly are the Palestinians... And where are the Israeli settlers? So in
2: 1979, settlers broke into the Hebron city center and uh, they started their first compound, their first building.
0: After the Israeli occupation began in 1967, Hebron was among the first places Jewish settlements were built. Some settlers said they were coming to Hebron because of its sacred place in Judaism, as the burial site of
2: Prophet Abraham and his family. They are guarded by a larger number of Israeli soldiers and police. We, what you would call the settlers, we think we're the Jewish community of Hebron, have pushed forward and have gone back to a building that we rightfully own.
0: In the old city of Hebron, Palestinians live only meters away from Jewish settlers. If you look up while walking in the alleys, you'll see a fence stretched over the street. Settlers living above use that as a garbage dump.
1: With regards to my house, it's completely surrounded. Inside the house, the windows are closed. And in this area, my kids can't go out because the settlers can come out at any time and throw rubbish, rotten eggs, or alcohol.
2: So the Israeli uh, settlers and the Israeli government is trying to remove the Palestinian identity of H2 in Hebron. And they are trying to remove the Palestinian identity of the towns and the villages around Hebron. So everything they do is about taking more land and bringing more settlers inside Hebron and in the villages around Hebron city.
0: Now, you might have heard Ayesha use that term H2. It's really complicated, but I'm going to try to break it down for you. Hebron is a divided city, just like the occupied West Bank is divided territory. In Hebron, there's two areas, known as Hebron Area 1 and Hebron Area 2, so H1 and H2. H1 is controlled by the Palestinians, and H2 is under Israeli administration. And both areas butt up right against each other in areas within those areas.
2: This is what happened with Hebron, that they took the art, the shopping area, the most touristic area, the religious places, it's under the Israeli military control. It's the city center. As if you talk that Times Square is under the Israeli control, and the other towns and cities in New York uh, will be with the American government.
0: And it's important to understand, this wasn't a military victory. This was a negotiated agreement between the Israeli government and the Palestinian leadership back in the 90s, the era of peace talks.
2: But we Palestinians, we were naive. We thought that it will be temporary peace, uh, you know, that it will be temporary agreement, and then we will go toward two states. But Israel didn't give us anything, and they used the peace agreement to steal more land, and to embolden occupation and apartheid.
0: Which brings us back to today. After Aissa's kidnapping and torture, he says he was forced to stay home for a week while most of the West Bank was on lockdown. In the part of Hebron Aisa lives in, people live under a curfew, and it's only ramped up since October 7th.
2: Imagine that you can't leave your house for 48 hours Hours, and they give you one hour every two days to to get food. One hour only since October seventh, and you are not allowed to look from the window. You are not allowed to go water your plants in your yard. You are not allowed to go to the roof to dry the laundry. And if you and in the night they come to you, they search your house, and they threaten that they will come back and shoot you. Many families from my neighborhood, they left. And uh, it didn't stop for me, October 7th.
0: Two weeks after the settlers kidnapped and assaulted Aisa on October 20th, the violence continued. The Israeli army occupied his house.
2: I didn't leave the house. I stayed. I refused to leave. And I was threatened, they broke in four or five times, the Israeli soldiers and the Israeli settlers in an army uniform. I refused. Okay, Boys, I, I closed, closed the door. I closed the door. No, you not close the door. You no, no, have, when they I saw that I am really trying to stay and I was not afraid or intimidated by their violence, their threats. And when I was expelled from my house, it was because I received an international Journalist, and he came to see how I live. And they expelled me by force from my house. So I'm homeless now.
0: Aissa is now staying with friends. And he says he knows why this happened and why it happened now. Like many Palestinians in the West Bank, he thinks there's an unannounced Israeli policy to forcibly displace them. It's something Al Jazeera correspondent Nida Ibrahim has reported on. Mm-hmm.
1: With the growing number of settlers, with the Israeli ministers arming them, with the Israeli media inciting against Palestinians and empowered by a sense of impunity, you see settlers now using this opportunity, this time when the world is looking at what's happening in Gaza, to commit as many attacks and as many crimes as possible. And their violence against Palestinians is not only increasing in quantity, but in intensity. Since the beginning of the year, settler violence has reached unprecedented levels with three attacks on average per day, according to UN figures. And since October the 7th, this number has drastically risen to seven attacks on average per day.
0: Nearly a 1,000 Palestinians have been forced from their villages by armed settlers. According to the United Nations, settler violence was condemned by several countries and international organizations.
1: We've heard from the EU releasing a statement saying those assaults against Palestinians amount to settler terrorism, asking Israel to rein them in. We've also heard from the US President Joe Biden saying that extremist settlers should be held to account. We've also heard from 30 human rights organizations and civil society organizations in Israel calling for the protection of Palestinians in the occupied West Bank from settler violence that is leading to communities being transferred from their lands. So
0: Aisa we heard that Palestinians in the village of Der found leaflets tucked under their car's windshield wipers, threatening, in Arabic, to forcefully expel them from their lands, threatening a major nakba, which of course refers to the mass exodus of Palestinians back in 1948. They took photos of the leaflets that were shared by human rights organizations. Given everything that you've seen, what was your reaction when you saw the images of those
2: leaflets? I'm not surprised. I was told many times by soldiers and by settlers that if I want peace, I should leave to Jordan, to Saudi Arabia, to Syria, or to Iraq. And the leaflets are not the only source of intimidation. Israeli soldiers in Hebron went to Palestinian houses. I got this from the families. And they threatened them. And they told them, you have only 24 hours to leave the house or we will come on the night to kill you and your children and your women. It happened in H2 in Hebron. It happened to me. It happened to many, many other Palestinian compounds and communities and villages all over.
0: Are you concerned that, that there will be a second Nakba?
2: I see if the war continues like that. Many many Palestinians will leave because the people are afraid. They are terrified. Verbal intimidation of another Nakba, face to face from Israeli soldiers, Israeli settlers in an army uniform. This is what is the trend now. We know it. It's not a secret. We know that we are facing displacement. We are facing ethnic cleansing in West Bank. I'm fearless. And I am really, you know, a human rights defender who was active since maybe twenty years. And and really I lost the house I built, I created. It's my dream. My house in Tal Romeda is my dream. It's me. Because people were telling me, Issa, leave the house, they will kill you. I told them it's my life. So they stole my life from me. It's the same for the Palestinian families who are living in East Jerusalem. Their houses, it's their life. You know, my house is my passion. I choose to live there to make peace, to talk about non-violence resistance, to talk about future. But Israel got green lights from everybody in the world, the West, to do whatever they want to us. So really, We are facing another real Nakba, and we said it, I say it all the time. Nakba didn't stop. Since 75 years, Palestinians are facing continuous Nakba, but they were hiding it before. Now they are openly calling to displace and to ethnic cleanse Palestinians from West Bank.
0: Finally, Aisa, you've been spearheading non-violent resistance against the Israeli occupation and settler violence for years. What are you going to do now?
2: Palestinians are not allowed to practice non resistance according to the Israeli military law. And me personally, I was arrested many, many, many times. And I was indicted, convicted in the military court for protesting peacefully against the Israeli occupation. Me, I will never give up until we get freedom and justice and equality. I will go back and try to practice non-violent resistance to make the occupation costly and make the occupation exposed and Find evidence against uh, Israeli uh, brutality and document all the human rights violations which are happening from Israeli settlers and Israeli soldiers all the time. Because we don't have any other choice as Palestinians. We will not accept to live as a second class citizen in our land. We will not accept to be treated as animals who are seeking shelters and food. We want to be treated as a nation, with history, with a culture, a civilized nation who deserves freedom, justice, and equality as everybody else in the world. And for sure, to make Israel accountable for its occupation according to international standards. And we will win. One day we will win, one day we will get that.
0: The take. This episode was produced by Sari El-Khalili and Sonia Bagat, with Amy Walters, Khaled Sultan, Miranda Lynn, Ashish Malhotra, Faranisa Campana, Zena Badr, Chloe Kay Lee, and me, Natasha Del Toro. In for Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.